Support for this podcast comes from the patrons at patreon.com slash Serlin. This is Serlin on Games, Episode 6, Character Bands, and I am joined by a Photix today. How's it going, Serlin? Hey. So, let's talk about banning characters in games. One of my favorite topics to argue. <laughs> okay, we should start by saying what it is we're even talking about, because there's a couple kinds of bans. One kind is like when a tournament organizer bans a character, you know what I mean? Sure, like in Street Fighter 2, Kuma is considered too good by basically everybody, so it's universally decided that he cannot be selected. Right, so if a character was just way, way, way too good, but the rest of the game was fine, then it would make sense for the tournament organizer to ban that character. That's fine, but we are actually not talking about that in this episode. We're talking about when players ban each other from playing characters like within the framework of playing the game so we wanted to talk a little bit about how that works sure so i think the the, the co- most common two games that utilize bans are league of legends and dota 2 so basically the way it works is that before the gameplay once you have started the match you take turns banning characters off the select screen from each other and then picking a couple like, so I'll ban a character, then the other team will ban a character, then our team will ban, then their team will ban. Then we'll pick, I think, three characters back and forth. Then we'll ban a couple more characters, then we'll pick a couple more. So by the end, we've banned out about 10 characters out of like 110 or whatever it is. So the picking is also a form of banning, isn't it? Right. Yeah, there's no mirror matches either. So if I take a character, now you can't have that character. Right, so there's two kinds of bans there, like you picking it so that I can't, and then no one picking a certain character and just saying that character will not appear in this game at all. Right. Okay, so that, I think that's really bad, like just terrible. I agree. <laughs> that's what I wanted to talk, okay, that's what I wanted to talk about for this episode. So we should talk about the reasons why people say having this feature is good and what we think of those reasons. Uh, there could be something there could be, you know, real pluses and minuses. And then what are reasons is for not liking banning characters? Sure. Let's start by giving people kind of a groundwork of the bottom line. Because so I think ultimately the real reason to have bans of characters with, within the game that the players do is just as a band-aid to deal with there being too many characters in the game. We're going to get into some rationalizations of why it might appear good, but I think ultimately it is mostly just this band-aid thing. It's like not a thing you'd really do on purpose if you thought it through. At least that's where I'm coming from. Right. I agree with that. And it's worth pointing out that that is true and effective i mean it does band-aid the game it, it does have an effect uh positively on the game's balance but like you mentioned the reason for that is because the game has way too many characters okay well let's zoom in now and, and look at particular points that are for or against it and kind of go through it so reasons that it is good to have character bands okay so the first one that i hear all the time is that it adds strategy Okay, it adds strategy. It's very strategic in what you should ban. And that 
could be true, but I think the more true that is, the more of a problem it is. <laughs> right. And that's because you're, you're de-emphasizing the part where we actually play our characters and you add emphasis to the part before that where we're on menus. Yeah. I mean, if I gave you a really interesting game, then you wouldn't really want to de-emphasize the strategy in that game to put something ahead of time before the gameplay starts. I think we should define some terms because people get really hung up on just the words as opposed to the concepts under, underneath the words. So I like to use the word gameplay when we're talking about characters moving around on the screen. And then the banning stuff is pre-game. So what I'm sure. saying there is, is that why would you want to take away emphasis from the gameplay to have this pre-game thing? And then the, the trap of words is that some people can say, well, that's not what gameplay is. Gameplay is the whole thing and it includes the menus. But okay, fine. If you want that to be gameplay, then I just need a new word. You're right. Sure. Yeah. It's just not what we're talking about. So then I got to go, okay, when you bloop play, that's the part where you move the characters around. And why would you want to, you know, it's not about the word. It's about the concept right. of when you're actually like controlling a character and doing moves and spells and using items and stuff like that or whatever, that that's the meat of the game. And I just don't think you want to reduce that to have more strategy beforehand. Sure. And just to provide some context to that point. So let's just compare two games real quick to get a better idea of what we're talking about if you're not sure. So on the one hand, you have a game like Yomi where all characters are preset. You can't customize them at all. There's no decisions to make before the gameplay. You just pick your character and that's it. Versus mm -hmm. a game like Magic the Gathering, where you have a ton of customizability options. And what that ends up doing is leads to a lot of lopsided matchups because there's so many different choices that my configuration of cards might be dramatically advantaged against yours. So it de-emphasizes your ability to actually beat me in the gameplay because I came in with a big advantage. Yeah, that's uh, interesting you mentioned that considering Codex, the game I'm working on, is trying to solve that exact problem. It's really fun to build decks ahead of time in Magic. Oh, yeah, so, totally I mean, agree. I, th I think we, we both have fun. So we're, we don't like dislike that or anything. It's just that the result of having that is that when you sit down to actually play the cards on the table, then you get these big mismatches. And so what Codex tries to do is really restrict the deck building so that when you sit down at the table, things are fair. But that's really a side point. Right. So were you saying something else? Um, no, just I was just clarifying what it means to take emphasis away from the gameplay. Okay. Well, the next thing I can think of that people seem to like bands for is that it's a way to stop unbeatable synergies, which it's kind of just what we were talking about a second ago, where if you have a lot of customization ahead of the time, then some of it, some kind of combination of things is just going to be too good. If you can ban things, you actually get two buffers against things being too good. One is if there's something that's just broken, then it'll always be banned. So you don't have to worry about it. So the system is a little more resistant. Like if they release a new set of characters and they have one little mistake, the tournament actually is not dominated by that mistake because everyone will ban that thing. The second buffer you have has to do with synergies where you could have two characters that are not too powerful on their own, but they just happen to work together in some sort of way. Maybe you can give an example of that where they're way overpowered and they can individually exist, but if somebody has one on their team, you basically have to ban the other. And then it's fine. So if you have the ban system, those characters can exist. If you don't have it, then they can't. Yep. Summed it up. Just, just I'm an not example gonna, of... No, just because I've given up on MOBAs, except Heroes of the Storm. So 
Okay. I, I like it, it's just out of my mind at this point. I'm sure I could have had a bunch, but it's it's beyond me now. Okay, so what do you think of that argument, though? Uh, well, I think it's true. I mean, that's it's it's pretty much an elaboration of our point about the whole thing being a big band aid. It band aids against this extreme synergy or an overpowered character that needs to be nerfed, and it does do that effectively. That is one thing bands does do. And I have no counterpoint against that. It does do that. Sure. I'll give a counterpoint just in the way I frame it. Uh, I can say the first thing there was if a character was just flat out too good, then the band thing helps it. Yeah, that's true. That's just like a fact. But another thing that can fix that is doing a better job as a developer and not having that character. And you might say, oh, that's really hard. Well, yeah, it is really hard. And developers should do that work. And there's a, there's more to it than just that, because if you do all the work, then you solve the problem. Whereas if you choose the band thing, you solve the problem, but you introduce a whole bunch of terrible other problems that we're about to get to. Right. So like, yeah, it solves it, but at a great cost, right. in my opinion. But we're not quite to the reasons we don't like it yet. I wanted to cover any more pluses we can think of well one plus that i hear a lot is that it's exciting and dramatic for spectators and players alike really isn't it the opposite of that personally i think it's i think it's really sad if i want to watch a match of dota 2 at the invitational or whatever that i have to wait for 10 plus minutes to see a character select screen go on and on and on yeah, uh, so I visited Valve a while ago and talked to one of the head people on all of Dota 2, and he really likes bands. He made the argument that they add strategy. Uh, but even he said that he regrets that when you look at a stream of Dota 2, the first 15 minutes of it is menus, and that's really boring. So I was kind of surprised to hear you count that in the plus category rather than the minus. I've heard it a lot. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, I really don't know what to say because now I'm imagining, let's say we took that to be true, that it, that it should go in the plus column. Then we should add like pregame menu stuff to other games just because that's hype. Or... I, I think I think the, the, the subset of people that enjoy this type of thing would say, yeah, let's add that stuff to every game or a lot of games. Well, OK. Another one I hear, maybe I've already said this one. This might just be kind of repeating a previous one, but more character diversity. That's kind of goes back to the synergy thing. Right. Yeah, it's all it's all kind of interconnected. In a sense, it's true that if uh, we had two characters that in combination would just be able to destroy your entire team consistently, then you kind of can't have that exist. Like both of those characters can't individually exist if there's no bands. But the real solution there is to just create interesting characters that don't have so much extreme synergy rather than making those characters with extreme synergy and then adding bands. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just no shortage of character diversity anyway. Right. There's like right. an enormous, just huge, mind-boggling amount of it that you have access to. Especially in uh, in these MOBAs where characters have like four to five skills. Like there's so much room to make different skill sets. <laughs> it's funny you say that since I think that MOBA characters are kind of simplistic compared to other genres. I wish they had even more, but, but even then you're right that that's enough space. Even if I wanted 10 abilities or something like, yeah, with four or five, there's really plenty of room to do a lot, a lot of creative stuff. 
Uh, well, maybe we should move to things that we do not like about this. And I want to say, one, that it doesn't even have to do with playing to win or being super competitive. It's just a, a feel thing that people get attached to characters. That's kind of the reason, one of the big reasons to have characters is to give them personality and play styles and to allow players to find a character that they identify with. And they might identify with them for gameplay reasons, but that's not that's not even remotely the only reason. They might just like the way the character looks or how their voice sounds or the backstory or history or, or the art or clothes. There's just a lot of ways to connect with a character. And so when you have someone who's a fan of that character and you say, oh, no, I'm I'm stopping you from playing that, that is just this super feel-bad thing. To, to the point, it's so bad that I would go so far as to say it's just bad design to have that in your system. I totally agree with that. And I know for me, in various games I've played, especially in the less competitive games, I usually decide what character to play just based on factors that draw me to them outside of gameplay. Like, if I think the character's cool or represents me or whatever it might be. Or if they're funny. Like, in Smash Brothers, I've been playing a bunch of Mr. Game & Watch, not because I think he's great, but because he's hilarious. And I want to play him, and it's fun. Yeah, so imagine if someone told you you couldn't. You'd be like, come on, really? Is that the best system we can come up with? Like, I knew some girl who liked uh, Sakura, or Sakura, however you say it, in, um, in Puzzle Fighter, and uh, who'd she like in Mario Kart? Peach, Bowser, I think. Right? Bowser. I oh, oh, Bowser. Yeah, I know. You're right. It was Bowser. Yeah. Yeah. She liked Bowser. And I'm trying to imagine telling her like, oh, no, you can't play Bowser, your favorite character. She would just say, screw you. I don't want to play this game anymore, which is actually what I would do, too. If you told me I couldn't play my favorite Street Fighter character, I would just not play the game because there's a lot of other games where I can play whatever I want. <laughs> so, right. I don't know. Like, I think it's it's like a right of a player. It's a right they have to be able to pick the character that they want to pick. And now you could say, well, what's the source of that right? Like, where do they, where does that come from? Who gives it to them? And I would say that it's the same as any right, really, like the right of free speech or, or anything else. It comes from when people demand it. And I personally demand the right to pick the character I want in a game. And so does that girl who likes Bowser and probably everyone should. And then we would have it. <laughs> Right. I don't know. That's my stance. Also, like one, one little thing that this has actually happened to me. Um, so in a lot of games I play, like asymmetric games, for example, I tend to pick up a lot of different characters. And mm -hmm. from day to day, I might just go, I might just wake up in the morning. Maybe it's my day off from work. And I go, you know what? I really just want to play Grave and Yomi today. And it just, I'm just all about Grave today. And it might not last for a week, but maybe just today, I really just want to play Grave. And if I go on Dota 2 and I go, you know what? I really just want to play Lone Druid today. And then I get into a match and he's banned. Well, what the hell? Yeah, I do the same thing because I, I like to play a lot of characters in games, like more than most other people. So that exact same thing happens to me where just at the moment, I feel like playing Potemkin and Guilty Gear or whatever. Maybe I might pick someone else in a tournament or I might pick him. I don't know. But just right now, that's what I feel like playing. And then I can't. And it's super sad. So what are some other reasons that you don't like or that we don't like this banning stuff in games? Well, one of the most important reasons is that it lowers the skill ceiling of any individual character within a game. Oh, right. Of course, because you can't play that character all the time. You have to split your playtime amongst a bunch of characters. So you can't get as good at any particular one. Is that what you're 
getting right. I, I like if I was known to only be able to play one character, you could ban that for me, and then I would be out of luck. So I have to divide my practice time up amongst a bunch of different characters in order to make sure I can't get banned out of the game. Right. So a counter argument here would be that it's increasing the amount of skill in the game because you have to be skilled at multiple characters. Uh, that's do we just should point out that's well, let's get to that in a second, but that's a different statement than the one you just made because you're talking about per character. Like if you want right. to see the, the how good can someone get at character X, we can see that less in a world with banning because nobody can actually devote themselves to character X. So we don't get to see like the top, top level of that. Right. And that is just factually true. There's no way to disagree with that point. Yeah, it's factually true that if you can't practice one character all the time, that you can't be as good as another universe where you could. Now, on the flip side, I, I don't really I'm not really compelled by the argument that increases the overall skill because you have to practice a lot of different characters because you could just do that anyway if it was an advantage to do so. <laughs> yes, you could just do that anyway. I mean, like, it's, it's forcing everyone. Right, to do but it. I'm not like. Uh, again, if that, if that was the more skillful thing to do, like is skillful and I mean, what, what are we measuring anymore? Like maybe we should, the game could also be more skillful if you had to play Tetris before you want to select your character. Doesn't, it doesn't actually make the game better in any way. Yeah. And we come at this same point from a different angle. There's this concept that we've mentioned at least one time so far in this podcast series about how asymmetric games are nice and great in that you can learn just part of the system and take part in a much richer, more complicated overall system. So let's go into that for just a little bit. Like if you had a symmetric game and it had X amount of complexity that you had to learn to play the game, okay, and we think that's okay, and the X amount of learning was okay, and then we have an asymmetric game now, let's imagine we've got two different asymmetric games, actually. So in one of them, you're forced to play every character. Okay. I mean, this is not how Dota 2 works. You're not actually forced to play every character in, in Dota 2, but this is just an imaginary game. So uh, you're forced to play 100 characters or something in my example game. And when you do that, it's only X amount of complexity that you've learned. So that sounds like, at first glance, to me, not a great game, you know, because we've taken the complexity of a whole game, but we spread it out amongst 100 characters. So it must mean that each one of them is just like hardly anything to it or they're all so similar or there's just something wrong there. Yeah, so it doesn't it did, sound like it would be good. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. And then then you could say, oh, well, that's no, no, that's not how it works. Like, actually, if you just learned one character that would be X amount of complexity and there's a hundred characters. So it's like a hundred X or something, but then we'd say, no, 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 there's there, you can't make a game with a hundred X complexity that you're forcing people to learn. We just defined X as the appropriate amount. And now there's a hundred <laughs> times. <more. Right. laughs> it's like totally crazy. Okay. So now let's go to the second uh, hypothetical example game. In this one, there's a hundred characters. And there's no bands, and you could just pick one and learn it. If you could pick two, if you want, or whatever, switch sometimes, but you can get away with one. So in this game, it could be X complexity to play that character, 
and that's fine. It's not too complicated. We don't object. And yet you get to take part in this very interesting system that has just, I don't know how many matches that is like tens of thousands of matchups or there's just so, so many different dynamics that are going to arise that could be interesting, but you still only have to learn X. So that's really cool. And when you, so now let's go back to what we're really talking about this band stuff in a game like Dota two or league of legends, when you ban several characters. So where are we on this spectrum? It's like, we, so now we're not, we're not as extreme as the hundred game, a hundred characters. You have to learn all of them, but you do have to learn a bunch of them. So is that really more skill? You know, isn't it just, it's just taking the amount of skill you had and spreading it out over a bunch of characters as opposed to getting to a really right. high level of skill in one or two characters. So it's not really more. I mean, right. And, and again, even if it was, I don't think that's a compelling argument, uh, which we talked about a lot in the first episode with the depth fallacy. Mm hmm. So another thing about uh, just to touch back on the idea of how it divides your practicing time, there's actually way more badness to having to practice in the game with bands than just that you're forced to practice different characters. Also, when you, because these are team games, you need to know the synergies between characters A and B and C. And if we're playing the actual competitive mode where we're banning characters and then picking them, which bans them from each other, it can be really hard to even figure out what those synergies are because it's going to take a huge amount of games to even get the combinations we want to test. So in order to practice these games efficiently, you kind of have to like agree with the other team to not use the bands in your practice games. So now you're practicing with like just normal selection rules to test things and then going into the actual game and then banning them away. It just seems crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't really thought of that nuance. So you could practice with bands, but then you're saying there's going to be too many cases where the thing you really needed to practice just happened to get banned. Right, where like, but, but, but know, like it might not have in a real tournament, and so then you know you missed out on practicing, right? Yeah, and also, I mean, it also within the universe of like, let's just forget that bands are bad for a second. I'll say they're great, so you have to maximize your ability to use these bands. So you need to play with all the characters and all the different combinations or as much as possible without using bands again in your practice in order to figure out what you really should be banning. If you just always play with bands, you're kind of going to get locked into banning the same things over and over just because, well, now we don't really play against that much. So we're going to have to just keep banning it because we don't really know what, what it goes with or what it does. So let's just keep banning it. But if you wanted to maximize your ability to ban, you would have to practice without bands to really figure out what is the most broken combinations. And then when you see those combinations starting to form, then you break them up with the bands. Yeah, you see, that just shows that banning adds more skill. Right. And also makes a makes a sham out of practicing the game. I mean, the thing is that that's I think it's factually true that it, it does add more skill. Uh, you just said the exact skill that it adds, like the knowing what to ban. That's a skill. It's just that so is juggling three balls or baking a cake or there's a lot of things that are skills. And <laughs> I would think in Dota 2, you'd want to test the skill of like moving your guy around and doing moves. <laughs> right. <I don't> <laughs> right. Uh, okay, actually, I have one that is is a real big one to me. That a competitive game where you can pick a character and get really good at that character, which you can try to do in any of these games, 
to me that it should be, it needs to be a showcase of skill. Like if I want to watch the finals of the world tournament of the best players, I want to see a showcase of skill. And I'm not really able to see that if the best players can't play their best characters. Like if the best Blanca player in the world, like, oh, he's so good at Blanca that you will never see him play Blanca. Right. Can, you, can you imagine that? Uh, yes, I can, because <laughs> there was a case in League of Legends. Uh, this was maybe, I don't know, 2010 or so, or maybe 2011. There was a player uh, named Hotshot GG, and he became infamous as the absolute best Nidalee in the world, or at least in America. And for about a year straight, he was banned from playing Nidalee because every single time he played Nidalee, his team won. So for an entire, oh, like I'm not actually exaggerating when I say it was about a year of time, he was not allowed to play the character that he was the absolute best at because his opponents wouldn't let him. Yeah, and I, I use the word showcase. I think it's the appropriate word is that the tournament structure and system and all that should really put front and center his amazing skill at that character. And it's done the opposite of that. It's denied him the ability to play it and us the ability to see it. It's just like the most unhype thing it's like, it's like anti esports <laughs> to me. Yeah, like, what yeah we- I, I I agree. I mean, as a spectator, it's just really sad that I can't see everyone's best. I'm thinking of Daigo too, like the famous fighting game player. If if Daigo walked up on stage and then yelled to the crowd, "Would you like to see me play my best character or like my third best?" <laughs> and then we we just never get to see his best. <laughs> it's just such a letdown. <laughs> uh yeah yeah but but he need, he needed more skill he needed more skill to win with that third best character so oh right he so, needed so, the skill so, to to be good at the first best second best and right third best exactly yeah. i mean if we valued that then we're just going down the path of then shouldn't he play 100 characters and make each one or, of them, like, or wait totally what was the one game the one game where you actually ban everything except the last two options Maybe yeah, Water D. Water D told us about that game. I don't remember what it was, but there was something. There was like twenty or so. Oh, it was like character. Might and Magic. It was a Might and Magic. Game, yeah, it was some kind of Might and Magic thing. There was like like twenty factions or something, and you would go back and forth banning until there was only two left. So basically, right. you just you just pick the other guy's character. Right. So it's of. the ultimate battle of skill because you just pick your opponent's character. <laughs> yeah, the ultimate battle of skill because you you play your least skilled character you just play your worst you're always playing your worst uh so another aspect here is characters that are difficult to play so in guilty gear venom is a character that has pool balls that he can knock around and he's very difficult to play i'm sure you can think of many other examples of that that kind of character it's really hard for that to exist in this banning world like who who plays that character who could even ever play them yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's really tough. I mean, it, in Dota specifically, in League of Legends, they don't even really attempt design like that because of what you're saying. Like, how could you ever realistically learn it? In Dota 2, they try a little bit. Um, but the thing is that ultimately, if you compared the most complex characters in Dota 2, like Invoker is one that people throw around a lot because he has like 12 skills because you, you, you like basically make various combinations of these orbs and then like they decide which skills you have at that moment. And people mm-hmm. cite that as being super complex as like a counter argument to what you're saying. But in the grand scheme of things, that's still actually not that complex compared to 
you know, Venom and Guilty Gear. I mean, it's still way, way less time to learn a character like that. So within the context of the game, it's more complex, but it's still not complex to the degree you're talking about where there's just a ton of nuance and you have to sink in hundreds and hundreds of hours to be able to use the character efficiently. Yeah. And I mean, this is a real thing is that some players like to play some weird character and really devote themselves to all the nuances of that weird character. And I don't know how you do that in a world where you just get banned, like that character would get banned. So you kind of can't. So that then the next step up is that nobody devotes themselves to that character because we all know that you you just you would have to spend all your time on it and then you'd get banned so that's bad so now the only people that ever play it are people who like some other character was banned and they kind of stumble into this really difficult character and how does that work like you can't you can't stumble into venom and fake it you just can't do that right so the real <laughs> thing is that those characters just simply don't exist in mobas well they yeah they either just would never be played or wouldn't be made in the first place. Right. And they're not. Well, that's sad. Yeah. It's super sad. Even, even my point still stands even in the world where those characters aren't made because there's still such a thing as a specialist, as a character specialist. You could pick the weirdest character in the real existing games of Dota two and league of legends, and you still couldn't, really devote yourself to those whatever the weirdest character is yeah you could just add them to your pool of playable characters but you wouldn't be you wouldn't have them mastered to nearly the same degree that you would if you were able to just play them exclusively so people who disagree with what we're saying would say yeah that's right you can't do that that's just not a thing you do in these games like there is there's no such thing as being good at just one character Right. What's your response to that? That's true. And I think that, I mean, we pretty much already responded to it. It's really lame that we're not showcasing the best players at their best characters. Um, and it's it sucks that if I want to play, you know, one specific character today, I might not be able to do that. To me, it's just a matter of the cons far outweigh the pros, like massively outweigh them. Support for this podcast comes from patrons like you at patreon.com slash you can become a patron and support the development of more finely tuned Serlin games, as well as more content on this podcast. And if you do, you get access to a sneak peek at art that's in development and playtest materials for upcoming games. You also get access to a special second podcast where you can hear behind the scenes of how we actually solve design problems. That's patreon.com slash Let's kind of circle back now. So we've covered some reasons that some people say are good about bands and that was that it adds strategy and then i said you know the more strategy we had the worse <laughs> uh what else do we say that it allows mistakes in balancing to get by because they can just be banned or synergies that are too good they could be banned and that it uh, it adds character diversity although we just covered how it does the opposite of that in many ways uh we also said just several ways where it's bad, like you can't, like a super fan of a character just can't pick them, <laughs> even if that's the only thing they are interested in the game. Uh, it's difficult to practice. It's lower skill for each, uh, lower skill cap, basically. No, not skill cap, but expected skill of any given player of a certain character will be lower in that world. Uh, what else? Uh, it does not showcase the s skills, the best players 
best characters. Right. And that there's like a huge knowledge barrier you're kind of adding. Right. If you want each of these characters to be like full complex things, your other alternative is no, each character is not a complex thing. It's like a really simple, like shallow thing. So it's okay to learn a lot of them, but that doesn't really help the argument. That sounds bad too. So go ahead with what you were thinking. And then the last thing was just how much of a mockery practice becomes when you have to actually Mm -hmm. not use the competitive format to practice efficiently. Yeah. And so going back to the thing I started with, I think the real reason is just that there's too many characters. I think the real root of this all is, is that people just like there to be a lot of characters. And if your game is sold by the character, like League of Legends is, it's hard to resist just making more and more characters. So maybe the correct number of characters for that game to explore its design space in an interesting way is way less, like, I don't know, 30 characters? Yeah, I was going to say 30 is, like, right now, uh, Heroes of the Storm, which is a MOBA that Blizzard is making. It's in alpha right now, but I've been playing it. They have 33 right now, and I expect that number to maybe go up to, you know, 40 by the time it's released, but I think 30 to 40 uh, is more than acceptable. Yeah, that's the range I guessed before Heroes of the Storm even existed. So it's interesting that it ended up being around there. But when you have a economic force that is saying, make more characters, make more characters, then you get a lot of characters. <laughs> so Heroes of New Earth uh, was, is another great example. There's this amusing graph. Have you seen this graph about the characters over time? No, I have not. Uh, So what it shows is that over time, there's more and more characters. But the rate at which they're added was very slow. So it's like a shallow, increasing line. And then there's a point of inflection where it just skyrockets like straight up. And there's a ton of characters. So what happened at the point of inflection? Oh, was that when they swapped to being free to play? Yes, but let me put it this way. It's when they swapped to charging per character. Sure. (laughs) Right, of course. Okay, so there's these economic forces that say that because because of the business model the games have chosen that say you've got to have a lot of characters. And what the hell do you do at that point? I don't know because I don't know how else are you gonna how are you gonna balance a hundred characters? I think you you can't maybe. Yeah. So I don't think there's anything you could do once you have a hundred characters in your game. I'm pretty sure it's just ruined forever. <laughs> so what do you think about? Dota 2 or League of Legends. This is just a thought experiment. Like, I'm not telling them to do this, but what if they just didn't have bans? What would happen? Um, uh, for League of Legends, it would be less extreme because, in general, their character designs are a little less... Um, the boundaries are a little less pushed, I'd say. But in Dota, I'm pretty sure that the game would just become kind of a joke because the, the synergy possible in Dota is so extreme that... Uh, it would just it would just come down to like one or two god tier comps uh, playing off against each other every time. The producer I talked to at Valve a while ago when I brought up this idea that bands are bad, he hadn't really thought about what it would be like if they were to remove them. But then when I brought it up, he said, "Well, now that I think about it, I think it would mostly be fine that we wouldn't need that many changes." to to balance because it's pretty well balanced anyway it's just that it adds so much strategy and it's just so cool and great and that's why we want it 
So you're saying a different, you're saying a very way opposite thing there. That, yeah, like, I would think be a he's totally, I think he's delusional almost. On that. Or maybe just hadn't thought it through enough because it was kind of spur of the moment thing. Oh, okay, sure, sure. But, but the point is you disagree. Was, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I when you get to, strongly disagree. When you get to 100 characters, uh, I don't know what you do to, to balance that. You need a fail-safe system, something that keeps it all in check, and banning does do that. But uh, Right. I mean, is there any alternative for them at this point? I, I don't think so. At least I can't think of it. Yeah. It just goes along with these bloated, inelegant games. Uh, another argument that we've heard is, so we, we, you and I have made this argument before that make a new game without bands or something that doesn't have a hundred characters. And we got pushback from people who said, you can't make such a game interesting. If you, if you were to try to do a MOBA that only had 30, 40 characters that you just wouldn't have enough design space and it would suck. Like people have said that. So now we have Heroes of the Storm. So what's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, even before I ever played Heroes of the Storm, I would have said that that's just absurd. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I, I almost don't even want to respond to it because that would give it some sort of credibility. I think it's just a nonsense claim. Well, it's a lack of imagination. It's like I can't imagine something, so it's false. Sure. Um, but yeah, but in I've, the case I've, of Heroes of the... Yeah, go ahead. No, I, just, I feel like you wanted to enlighten us about Heroes of the Storm, so this is your chance to do that. Right. Go ahead. Well, I mean, in, in addition to character selection being mo or, well partially fixed, uh, so maybe I'll explain. Heroes of the Storm right now, it's in alpha, so they haven't implemented everything they plan on implementing. One of the things that is not yet implemented is their draft mode. So now you might be saying, well, that sounds a lot like Dota or League of Legends, but it is a bit better while still not being acceptable in my opinion. So it is mm -hmm. better in that there are no bans. No players do not ban characters from each other. However, we take turns picking characters and just like in League of Legends or Dota, if I pick a character, then your team cannot pick that character. So it means that there are still going to be cases where you don't get to play the guy you wanted to play and you still have to divide your practice time up more than uh, being able to just focus on one guy only. But it's still better because if I'm, let's say I'm playing a weirdo character, well, now if you want to quote unquote ban me from that, you're going to have to know how to play it. Otherwise, that's going to be pretty bad for you. So it does right, that's help a, That's the way situation. better because that's a real cost that you have right. to. Okay, so it's better, but... I still bad and shouldn't be that way. Let me right. ask you this. Do you, do you think the reason that it is that way is because that's just kind of the tradition and blizzard just kind of did what was already there and didn't think about it? Or do, or do you think like the opposite that it's like super on purpose for some reason? I, I maybe I'm taking a slightly too cynical approach, but um, one thing about their game is that I'm pretty sure they just based on their business model, which right now most characters range from, uh, like six to ten dollars each uh, and these characters are the same complexity as a lol or dota character so you're talking about six to ten dollars per character so i don't think from the get-go they plan on you buying a lot of their characters so maybe in order to get you to get a couple more of them well maybe you won't be able to play the one guy you wanted to so you better have a couple extras handy yeah that is definitely worth mentioning and so let me give some background about the yomi card game online yomi card game we've tried a few different models one of them was very similar to league of legends now it was not ever similar 
to League of Legends in the part where you have to grind to get a more powerful character. We never had that. It's all, you always have a full strength tournament character and shame on League of Legends for not doing that. But the part that was similar is that you could try out a different character each week or every few days or whatever, different set of characters, and you could uh, buy them one by one. You could you know just buy one character and you, you own it and then buy a second one, you own it. And it worked for them, so we figured it would work for us. But it's this banning thing that was really the big difference. In a fighting game or in Yomi card game, which is based on fighting games and similar to that, you can do just fine playing one character, maybe two so you can counterpick. Like three would be really good if, if you had three characters you could play. Uh, so as a collector, maybe you want more. But as a real competitor, you can do all right with one or two or three. And... That's all people would buy. They wouldn't. They wouldn't actually buy three because uh, I forget how this it actually worked. But I think you, you ended up pretty much getting one for free from grinding, and then maybe you would buy one more. So we basically would make like five dollars off someone per lifetime, like for their whole the whole life of them playing right. the game. <laughs> but League of Legends would make a lot more than that because there's so many bands you can't you can't just buy one character you have to have like a whole stable of characters available to you and you're saying the same thing in heroes of the storm so right. that's another case where the economics of it are saying have bands when if we look at it from just a what's good for the player or what's good design it's really not that at all do you want to say anything else about here's the storm i mean uh. i feel like we should get we should give a little I mean, this doesn't really have anything to do with our topic, but we should just give a little shout out to them for yes. taking a long list of terrible things and deleting all of them right. <laughs> in their so, game. Yeah, there's there's quite a few things uh, that are traditionally horrible about uh, MOBAs that uh, Heroes well, of the Storm I got to start. I got to name one. Just the, okay. the when you look up the the dependency chart of items in Dota, when I first saw that, like many, many, like a decade ago, I thought, oh, that's all I need to see about this game. It's a huge clusterfuck. Sure. Uh, and and I'm, I was really surprised that people would accept that. And it just still is a huge clusterfuck. So what did Heroes of the Storm do about that? So there are no items whatsoever. Thank God. No items. And they replaced it with talent trees, right? Which are pretty simple. Uh, yeah, I'd say easy so. to understand so, at least. Oh, definitely easy to understand. Uh, there's no confusion about them really. So, uh, I guess I'll just briefly explain how a game like Dota or LoL works. So, in those games, when you start the game, you start at level one. You have one ability point, and you could put that into one of your three base abilities. So you don't start the game with all of your abilities, just one of them, because you get to put one skill point into one of them. Then, as you level up, you can either put more skill points into the same ability, up to a maximum of like four or five, depending on the game. Or you can put it in other abilities, you know, so you can either get, make your one ability really good or get multiple abilities that are weaker. Putting on a character in situation, you're going to do different things. And then in addition to that, you're going to get gold from killing uh, units or heroes, which will let you get items. So you're also progressing your character, not just with abilities, but with different items that give you stat boosts or, you know, usage effects. So in Heroes of the Storm, there's neither of those things. When you level, you start the game with all of your uh, basic abilities. So you don't, you're not playing some like really gimped version of your character at level one. You just have your character right from the start. And mm -hmm. since there's no gold, the way they increase character progression is through as you level up, you just passively get stronger. All of your abilities get stronger. 
And then every few levels, you get to choose one out of a few talents. And these talents are either a new activated ability, like, for example, uh, damage over time on an enemy on like a 60 second cooldown. Or maybe it makes your Frostbolt better as Jaina Proudmoore. Or maybe it increases the healing you receive from your allies. Just various things that allow adaptation during the gameplay, which is great for multiple reasons. The first is that it's way simpler, like you were talking about, but also it allows characters to be more dynamic within a game. For example, there's one character uh, named Gazlo, and he has like two wildly different paths he can go. One path is all about him sieging your base and dealing massive damage to your towers and buildings. And another uh, path he can go is all about fighting in groups where he can deal a lot of area of effect damage. So depending on what the matchup is, he's not going to be pigeonholed into one role that he just has to go for. Um, He's going to have a lot of options. So it increases your ability to adapt during the game and have a more fair match than in like League of Legends, for example, where your character is pretty much just going to be doing the same thing no matter what. Yeah, I'm glad we went into this, actually, because that's really relevant to our point before. So if if you told me that I had to have a game with a whole bunch of characters, I'm going to say that's going to be hard to balance. There's going to be some matchup somewhere that's just really lopsided. But the more each character can branch out and do do more things, the more chance they have to have some kind of answer to the oppressive thing the other person's going to do. So it's a great balancing factor to have talents exist like that in addition to it being just simpler and fun like just right. on top of that it's a good good for balance yeah like an example that just came up in a game i was playing before so i was playing uh, as one of the new characters jaina proudmore so she is a long-range frost mage and she has absolutely no defense whatsoever if you are a character that is able like let's say you're a melee assassin type of character like uh illidan would be an example where he can just lunge to her And then she has no way to get away ever. So she's just going to die. But you can take a talent called Ice Block, which just like in World of Warcraft, puts Mm -hmm. you in an invulnerable Ice Block for a few seconds. So your team will just beat the crap out of the Illidan when he goes for you. So if, if if the talents didn't really exist, then I would have to maybe like in League of Legends, there's an item that gives you a really brief invulnerability, but I would have to farm that up. So before I had that, I would just die to Illidan every time and it would just suck. But in this game, I just take that talent and now great. Now he can't do that to me anymore. So, but if I'm against, if I'm, a ca- what's up? If I'm fighting against Jaina Proudmore, can I know she has ice block? Yes, actually, this is very interesting. They just added this to the game in the last patch. So on the, when you hit tab, a score screen is brought up showing you the amount of damage you've dealt, um, how much healing you've dealt, your kills, deaths, things like that. And then there's a button to swap that so you don't see the stats anymore, but instead you see everyone's talent tree and you see what every talent for every character has picked. Hmm. Sounds good. Sounds a lot better than having no idea what anyone is. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So Uh, so a couple other things we mentioned, the, Getting rid of items, uh, adding a talent tree. Well, I I mean, this is giving me a huge one. Yeah, a huge one for I think both of us is no last hitting or denying is in the game. Yeah, no last hitting or denying, which are just the stupid mechanics of killing your own people. Really counterintuitive, feels stupid. Right. Well, even the legends had removed denying, but um, last hitting was still a huge. It was just a huge part of that game. Here, 
Um, the only factor, um, uh, killing minions is still important, but it doesn't matter who kills them or if the minions kill them or if you kill them. All that matters is that you're nearby in order to get experience, which brings us into the next point. Oh yeah, I think we're about to. I think we're about to both say the same next point about the the snowbally nature of gold and how that isn't true with experience so much. Is that what you're getting into? And that's not exactly what I was gonna say, but yeah, that's also true. The way this game is designed, since there's no gold, and and I'm about to explain it uh, with experience, there is dramatically less snowballing in this game to the point where there almost isn't any. Like we have me, uh, I, I've played a lot. Um, maybe I don't know, eighty games by now or so. And I'm actually, most of the games that I win, we are behind all game. And then we just pull it together at the end, and that's good enough. Whereas in League of Legends or Dota, if you're behind all game, it's possible that you have a 1% chance of winning by the late game. Or is yeah, did you see those, those stats from two years ago that at the, was it the 10 oh, minute mark? Or, yes. Or 15 yes, minute I remember mark? This. Was it 10, 10 minutes? I forget about, at the 10 minute mark, if you were ahead, no, I think, was it 15 or 10? I don't know. But no, if you're ahead like by 10. 10 yeah, 10% gold by in 10 minutes. 10% gold, you had a 90% chance of winning. Right. So just to give a little more detail, tell me if I've got this correct. Uh, when there is gold, let's say uh, you're my opponent, uh, you're, you're on the other team, and you and I are in the same lane, and you're better than me. So you kill me, and then you kill me again. Now you are getting more gold than me in this scenario. We haven't really affected the amount of gold that other people in other lanes are getting. Right. Right. Yep. So you're getting way ahead and you're you're snowballing in your power. Is this I mean, this is all correct so far. Yep. Uh, and the uh, comparison is that in Heroes of the Storm, in the same situation, you're getting experience. And so you might say, well, aren't you just snowballing the same amount? But the answer is definitely no. <laughs> so Absolutely explain, not. explain why is it no? Right. So in this game, there is no individual experience whatsoever. It just does not exist. All experience yeah. that you get is distributed amongst your entire team evenly. Meaning that in, in the example you're just talking about where I'm better than you, we're one versus one in our lane and I'm killing you over and over. Instead of me like gaining a level off that or multiple levels if I kill you multiple times, my team's level bar might go up by like 20%. So unless I kill you like three times in a row, like almost like it's it's almost negligible other than the fact that you're not being useful on the map at that time. It's a dampening factor, basically, like all the right. advantage that your team gets from this situation, instead of being concentrated into you, it's spread out over everyone. And even when it's spread out, it's like a lower magnitude. Right, right. Like the sum of it is a lower magnitude. Right. Yeah. And also so, the, the other huge thing that that experience uh, sharing does is it allows different archetypes of characters to actually progress as the game goes on. So in Dota specifically, at the end of it, I don't know if you've ever watched a professional Dota match, but by the yeah, end of a yeah. Dota match, the support characters typically have maybe one one hundredth of the power of the hard carry characters. <laughs> Okay, that might be an exaggeration. Maybe it's only like one-tenth. But in any event, it's just a hilarious gap in power by the end of the game. But in this game, because your experience is shared, everyone's going to be strong and able to fight throughout the whole game. So no one is pigeonholed into just throwing wards down and running around doing nothing all game. And that's great. Yeah, so it's really amazing to me that Blizzard had the courage or something to go against the grain on so many of these things. These are things that... 
I think at least I have thought have been bad for a long time, but I can't even bring it up because a horde of people apologize for all of it. But here right. Blizzard says, yeah, actually all that stuff was bad and we fixed it and changed it. So the only thing that we're or I am unhappy about, I guess two things, is the the bit about how if you pick a character on your team that I'm not able to pick that same character on my team and I feel like I should be able to, right? That's one issue yeah, that I, you I wish totally were, were different. That. Yeah. And then uh, another thing was the, when you play the game, I wish you had access to whatever you wanted right away. But you're saying that even though there is a grind, it's incredibly short. Oh, sure. Yeah, like, I'll mention that briefly. So, um, you know, we, we discussed a couple of weeks ago the issue of even playing fields. And when I first got on this game, I thought it was an uneven playing field game because when I first select a character, I do not have access to everything that character is capable of doing. However, mm-hmm. unlike a game like League of Legends, which just has such a massive grind involved. Right. Um, literally longer than level one to max level in World of Warcraft. Right. Um, in this game, that, that grind is roughly two wins. So if you win twice or maybe <laughs> maybe like four losses. So like well, it's, it's average, per character, to be fair, though. It's not two wins right. total. It's, right. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah with any per given character. character, like let's say on average three games. But if you okay. win less than that, but on average, three games will have you fully unlock unlocking a character. And to me, oh, and the other thing is, even when your character isn't fully unlocked, they're not actually weaker in like a definitive sense. They just have less talent options available. So the, the talents they're picking can still be the ones you might have chosen anyway. It's just they're going to have less diversity available to them. Um, this was clearly uh, intended to be a like tutorial for that character. They didn't want to overwhelm you with all of the options right away. Ultimately, I think yeah. it's kind of pointless. Just give me the options and whatever. Like just just have one be recommended or something, and then I'll just. Follow You're saying that it's only it's only side grades, right? Like the very right, first time right. you play. I mean, you you have an ultimate. Like when you level right, up. Right. Yeah. No. You you so. have everything that you choose is still the full power version. It's just you have less choices. Right. So, you know, I wish it wasn't like that, but I do have to say that if it's like two or three games, I mean, three games serve per character. Yeah, that's on average. Way less of an issue than, you know, it's, it's, 100 it's hours or something. It's like, it's like a mini tutorial that's kind of forced on you that doesn't need to mm-hmm. exist, but it's so minor that I don't even, I don't even classify the game as uneven playing field just because it's so sure, quick to sure. go away. Okay, so there's a super minor thing and then there's you picking like bands for me. And other than that, uh, a bunch of great design decisions. Right. Oh, one other awesome design decision is uh, that there's more than one map right now. There are five maps and that is way more interesting than having the same map every game forever. Well, I think we've gone on long enough. This is the whole, this whole thing was kind of a sidetrack. Originally it was about, about banning and here's the storm. Mostly doesn't have that. Right. But we've given a lot of reasons why these bands are just so frustrating and terrible and I can't imagine them in a fighting game. It would be like unworkable. I can't imagine them in Codex or any card game I'd want to play either. Yeah. I just like to be able to play what I want to play. That's like kind of the reason I'm playing. The reason I'm playing is that something that was interesting to me and I wanted to play it. Right. Uh, Makes sense to me. Okay. Let's end on that thought then. All right. Thanks for discussing all this. All right. Take care, Serlin. Okay. Take care. And now for our special guest, myself. Hi, Serlin, and welcome to your own show. (laughs) 
Hey, well, thanks for having me. <laughs> definitely, definitely. You know, you know, Serlin, you have yeah. such great design sense. I was wondering if you owned anything that had questionable design. <laughs> oh, man, I sure do. Okay, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is I have a clock that I think is the worst design clock in the world. This clock, <laughs> this clock sounds interesting because in my experience, clock? no, I, do you know I, about I, it? I don't know about this clock. No, no okay, I, go I, on. I feel like you're going to tell me about this clock. What were you going to say, though, about your experience? Well, my experiences with, with clocks are that, you know, they're, they're a thing. They tell time and you don't really have to do much with anything. They just work. Yeah, that's right. So it's so striking that there could be anything wrong with a clock. I mean, how do you how do you screw it up? Right. 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 Exactly. There's like not much to it. Uh, what I want out of a clock is I want a flat surface on the face that displays the time. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> that sounds that sounds pretty reasonable. I you know it, it's clocks. actually really hard to find any clock like that. Okay, so what <laughs> I wanted to to add a little bit more to it, I wanted a white clock. Okay, so same mm -hmm. requirements but white. Uh -huh. And if you look up, if you try to buy such a thing, you what you'll discover is there almost isn't any clock like that. There's clocks that are like junky and have a bunch of stuff and are complicated looking and have dials and look bad or whatever. I wanted a digital clock also. So, you know, cross off all the analog ones. I want to sit on a shelf that's white. That's why I wanted the clock to be white. So you, if you look for this stuff, uh, what you'll find is a lot of places sell a particular white clock. So, really? yeah, so there you go. So that's the answer, right? Just buy that clock. If you go on Amazon, the, rate, the uh, reviews for this clock are all super negative. And it's really consistent where people say, Hey, we looked for a white clock and there kind of wasn't one except this one. So that's why we bought it. And it's absurdly terrible. Oh, man. And so I bought it anyway. I've had it for about a year. And like like probably a lot of other people who bought that clock, right? You're wondering. It's I know this This is this big buildup, right? You're wondering, like, what's wrong with this clock? Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's got some buttons on the back where you set, like, the time and the alarm, um, which I don't need, of course. Right. And, and some other buttons. And it's just, like, kind of confusing it's like hard to tell how to set it up it comes with instructions that are cryptic and like badly written just like a lot like a stereotype you know like in a comedy some <laughs> stereo instructions will be badly written but it's right. so badly written that it actually comes with a second sheet of instructions that's like an emergency thing it's Wait. like hey hey we know that this clock is really hard to use so we have like a separate we want you to read this first and, and read it before the instructions. So wait, wait, it's it's literally separate from the instructions. It's like it's its yeah. own thing. It's so another have, sheet. Wow, that's that's that sounds. Yeah, you're very really confusing. wondering. You're like you're like, what is it telling you to set? Okay, now I'm gonna lay it on you now. So okay, I hope I hope you're ready. For, I hope you're ready I'm for ready. this. I'm ready. So, what does the clock actually display? Well, it displays the temperature. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, the temperature? Why would it why would it do that? Also displays the time in 24-hour mode rather than 12-hour mode, which I don't want. Mm -hmm. And it by default has three alarms, <laughs> all three already set for you to midnight. And they oh. default they default to on. So wait, so there are three <laughs> alarms that are set and they're all set the same time. 
Yeah, it's a midnight. So, so if you just so they're plug not in like, this clock, it'll just mm. go off at midnight. Well, it's weird that they set them at all. I I don't yeah, I don't think like I've ever owned a clock that has set time itself. I mean, you set the time, but right, whatever right. you set the time to, the alarms will, are going to go off at midnight, unless you know how to do the cryptic set of steps that will disable them or set them to another time. I don't know why you need really any alarms, much less three, or why you'd want them set at midnight. Right. That's It's very strange. Uh, also, remember, it displays the temperature. And so when you... Okay, if you just like plug in this clock, by default, the the front of it, Okay, the good news is that it's very elegant and that um, it's only it only displays the numbers of the time. Mm -hmm. But the bad news is that by default, it will actually not display anything. It'll be completely blank. <laughs> and it's not even the kind of blank like I know what you're picturing. You're picturing like you're seeing the outline of like the digital clock numbers. You know, when they're off, you can still kind of see them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But no, not this clock isn't like that. Uh, it's it's actually completely blank. Oh, wow. So it appears to be just off just like a solid white that so you plug in and that's what you see and now you i know you're confused right you're like why isn't this displaying the time yeah 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 well it's because there's another feature that you don't know about yet you see by default the clock doesn't display the time it displays nothing and if it hears a sound it is sound activated like you clap then it will briefly turn on and show you the temperature and then the time <laughs> So, so this clock, this clock, which yeah. when I buy a clock, I need it for time. It mm -hmm. shows you the temperature first. Yeah, the temperature first. Well, nothing until it hears a sound, then the temperature. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the time. And then the time in 24-hour mode. Great. So what you can do is you can go through this, this long sequence of pressing buttons on the back of it to... Disable the alarms to turn it to 12 hour mode to not display the temperature and to just always be on rather than <laughs> like default off unless it hears a sound. Uh -huh. uh, when you do all that, uh, you know, the the colon that's between the time, like if it was 1202, it'd be 12 colon 02. Uh -huh. that, that colon flashes by default, like every second, which is kind of distracting. Yep. Yep. There's actually no way to turn that off. Like it will always really? flash no matter what. Yeah. But so you can oh, set all those no. other things to reasonable settings and then you're mm -hmm. fine. So I did that and, you know, I was pretty happy with it because it at that point it functions like a clock that a human would want to own. Right. It's right. Just, right. You know, besides the flashing thing, it's, it's <laughs> basically telling you the time and it just that's all it does. And that's what right. you want. Yeah. But. After a while, at some point, the electricity went off briefly here, and then it re resets everything, and so you have to do all that over again. Oh, no. And, you know, it defaults back to alarms at midnight, and oh. not not actual midnight, mind you, because right. it, you know, it's what it thinks is midnight. Right, right, because you have but to it, set it. Yeah, the power went off, and so the time, it's like, thinks it's noon, you know, whenever... The power happened to go off. Oh, right, um, right, right. So, yeah, in the middle of of my night, it woke me up <laughs> when that when that happened. And then some months went by and it worked. You know, I had set it again correctly. And months later, uh, it happened again. Oh. Uh, power went off and 
it's just, it was such a burden. Just I couldn't even bear setting it anymore because I have to look up like the two sets of instructions. Oh no. Yeah. It's just, it's too much. Oh my goodness. That's, that sounds like a lot of work for something that should just tell time. Have you ever thought of just a plain, a wall clock? You know, one of those things that like you just hang up and it's analog and it just tells time. You know what? I'm not done. I'm not done telling you about this clock. (laughs) (laughs) After the power went off and I couldn't bear to set it. I just, Uh I just didn't even touch it. I just couldn't even deal with it. So I forgot about it. So it was off. It was just sitting Mm -hmm. like on the shelf off. And then uh, my, my girlfriend was here and uh, I unplugged something. I don't know what it was. Maybe like the the Wii U Wii U console or something. Mm-hmm. I was switching them some things around in the electrical sockets, and the clock went on. And we both kind of looked at it. You know, did I like I just plugged the clock in, mm-hmm. and nobody said anything. And then I suddenly exclaimed, "I know what just happened! I just switched electrical sockets on things, and it seems like I just plugged this clock in. But what actually happened is I just made noise near the clock, and that turned it on." You see, we forgot that that was even a thing. <laughs> right, right. It is sound activated. Here's, here's one last tidbit on it. When the power did go off, I'm sure you've experienced that in your lifetime. You know, this mm-hmm. like a bunch of electronic things around right. you suddenly turn off, mm-hmm. like the light bulb or your computer or just all sorts of things just suddenly turn off. So that happened and the clock really stood out from everything else because everything else just turned off except the clock. Okay. (laughs) What actually happens when this clock loses power is it makes a very loud sound. Like it's like the alarm is going off for a few seconds and then it turns off. Oh, what? What is, what is going on with this? (laughs) I mean, I've never even heard of that. Why would an electronic device that was not some kind of nuclear reactor or something like, why would it need to do that? Is it so I, I, Maybe it's like some sort of <laughs> failsafe, like this thing's turning off. <laughs> Better make a loud sound. But you kind of want that to be like on your fridge, like when you forget to close it or, or you know, something dangerous, like your, like, a, like a stove. You left a stove on, you want it to beep, right? Right. Not so much a clock that's just on a shelf that doesn't really matter. It doesn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to tell you what I did uh, about this. Uh, okay. I just lost any kind of willpower to set it again. Mm-hmm. And I decided I would buy a new clock. So I looked online and I discovered we're in the same situation as we were before, where there <laughs> really is no clock. Like there is no just normal clock that's blank except for numbers and does what you want. Like <laughs> right. if you try to find one, you, I bet if you looked, you'd think you, you'd prove me wrong. You'd be like, Oh, well here's one. But actually everyone that you find is like a slightly different skin on the same clock I'm talking about. They all have this like three alarms and default to off unless they hear a sound. And it's like a reskinned thing. I don't know why it's so popular. What? Uh, so yeah, I found one that's like really elegant. Like if you look up like elegant minimal clock or something where it's, it's literally only the numbers. Like there's not even a frame around the numbers mm-hmm. and that's nice, but that costs $230, which seems really excessive. Like uh-huh, I'm looking uh-huh. for, it should really cost like maybe $10, the kind of thing I'm looking for. 
Right. Not like right. not like two hundred and thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found one at Target that's like really junky, costs like twenty dollars, but doesn't even look good. It's like complicated looking. Mm-hmm. Like why can't it just be simple? So then it got in my head. You know what? An app for a clock would just blow away all these clocks. Just an right. app on a phone or an iPad or something, mm-hmm. like just a regular clock app. Because I bet you it would just display numbers and that's it, and it would work, and it wouldn't have three alarms and whatever. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I found one that's free. Uh, and it only displays red and a certain font unless you pay $1 and then you can change the color in the font. <laughs> and I paid the, I paid the dollar. I paid $1 mm-hmm. for this app. Right. And now I keep my iPad on the shelf where the clock was and oh. it's great. It's very elegant. It's just huge numbers and that's it. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That that's the solution, I guess. <laughs> it's just such a failure to all clock manufacturers that they could not produce a clock that with my minimal requirements of like, just be blank, except the time and work. I think it's amazing that the worst clock in the world has a monopoly on super (laughs) minimalist white clocks. I feel like, I feel like if there's anyone out there who's listening to this, who, who likes to build stuff and sell things and make money, like you got to get on it. You got to You got to make, you got to make the clock that is just white numbers and just tells time and doesn't have anything else. It's just all, that's all it does. Don't even put an alarm in it. Right. <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> that I'm using like a very expensive iPad with a $1 app to replace this clock. The whole, the whole situation is just completely nuts. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I agree with you that if there's somebody out there in the clock manufacturing market, this is a real opportunity for them. Right. And if you do make it, uh, let let Serlin know. <laughs> yeah, please, please do. All right. All right. Uh, that's all I had to say on that subject. Well, Serlin, that was a great story that you told on your own show. And uh, I hope I hope you come back. I really okay. hope you come back to your own show. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.